0: to the
1: Yeah. Welcome to Monday. Let's get ready to truck it. I'm Duner
0: here with. The dude, welcome everybody. Beautiful, be- I and mean, I do mean beautiful afternoon here in Ooh. Freight Alley in the middle of February.
1: And I, I'm super refreshed because that Super Bowl it ended early last night. There was there <laughs> was a, the, the yeah. prop bet on it, and we were actually talking about this on radio was 10:49 over under 10:49 for it ending. It was done by 10:05 p.m. Yeah. Eastern time. It was done by like eight. Yeah. I mean, well, They could have just called. I feel bad for Mahomes. I mean, the yeah. offensive line just yeah. wasn't there. You could tell he was trying his hardest, but. It's amazing to just because, like, I've lived through Tiger Woods, I've lived through Michael Jordan, and we've lived through sort of t- Tom Brady. And this legacy is just amazing. Like, 10 years ago, you had people arguing is, you know, is, is he the bastard, is it Joe Montana, or is it Peyton Manning? I mean, right. seven Super Bowl rings, 20 years of going to Super Bowls. And it's, just, it's amazing if you think about it. And this, this came up when I was talking to Andrew Cox. Okay. I think Andrew Cox is maybe like 24, 25 years old. Oh, wow. Brady's been yeah. playing since he was like my kid's age now, my four year old. Yeah, 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 yeah. In 2002, at the first Super Bowl that Brady played against the Rams, you, too, played that halftime show with a moving tribute to all the victims of 9-11. Here we are later through, now during the, the COVID pandemic.
0: I don't know. Crazy. It's, it's absolutely it, it is an astonishing career. Yeah. And I, I was rooting for the old man. To show up well you have to right <laughs> but he's 43 but he's an old man which is ridiculous but I, I was rooting for the old man but you know what i saw that was crazy to me was the streaker you, <laughs> well yeah we talked about yeah why did they hang on him so long <laughs> i don't understand usually you don't know about it you kind of guess that something's happening right yeah uh but no it was his first uh first quarter touchdown in a super bowl was last night
1: Oh, yeah. For first touchdown in a Super Bowl uh, in the first quarter, in The first quarter
0: for Tom Brady, which you'd think, OK, that's not really that big of a stat because, you know, Tim Dooner's only been in one. Sure. So but no, he's been in 10. <laughs> <laughs> so just the fact that that stat is meaningful. Sure.
1: And 20. <laughs> I think he's had something like 12 percent of all Super Bowl touchdowns yeah. have been thrown by Tom Brady. He's been in 70 percent of Super Bowls that have happened since he's. Played in the league. Just phenomenal, phenomenal stuff. Yeah. You know, it's hard. Even if you don't like the guy, it's hard to say anything that is negative after a career Uh, like that. But here's one other thing, too. In his first Super Bowl, here's a tweet I saw from John um, Arlichman, and he was talking about the companies that advertised during the first Super Bowl that Brady played during. Okay,
0: this isn't the first Super Bowl. This is Brady's
1: 2002. Gotcha. AOL, Blockbuster, Radio Shack, Circuit City, CompUSA, Sears, Hot jobs, Yahoo, voice stream wireless and gateway computers. Most gate-way of those are not even around anymore.
0: computers. I had a gateway computer too. Oh the cow print on yeah. it? Yeah. But I have one in, like, 92 or something.
1: They were a little before their time. '94, Like maybe. that online sort of purchasing or yeah. purchase by, yeah, yeah, it was a little, little before its time. Yeah. But on today's show, we might be talking about something that is coming of its time and of its age. It's drone deliveries. Valkyrie's going to be talking to us about their drone delivery mailbox, and we have a ton of questions for them. We booked a 20-minute segment because we want to know all about this. What can the drones deliver? What's the capability and capacity of these mailboxes? I'm sure you're all curious as well. Is this yeah. Is this real tech, right? Can it yeah. really work? Will people start installing these mailboxes all over the place? we'll find out what uh, they have to say about it plus we'll be talking about Tesla they bought 1.5 billion dollars in Bitcoin and now I can buy my Cybertruck in Bitcoin I think it's only a matter of time before I can use my Dogecoin
0: yeah, it probably, <laughs> probably, probably is. Yeah, Desolate with Bitcoin. So Contract
1: rates are up yeah. by 12%. This year, football fans' love of avocado, cross-border freight demand, uh, Amazon's trucking incubator, Nissan's new drive for remote work. They're building a car around this. I don't know if that could just be a fad. Comeback uh, stories and the importance of vetting carriers. We're going to get all to it, but first, let's tip the band, then we'll get to headlines today. This episode is brought to you by Legend Transportation, which has been establishing partnerships through outstanding customer service since 2007. Learn more at newlegendinc.com. Now, trucking contract rates. We've been talking about this spot market and the correlation between the contract market. Well... Bid season has been going on right now, and tr- and trucking contract rates are up 12% year over year. Zach Strickland is chart of the week, which you can see every Saturday on FreightWaves.com. He goes in-depth on this, but here's a little overview. Shippers spent more than 12% per mile for dry van truckloads on average through most of the fourth, fourth quarter of 2020 than they did in 2019. That is according to FreightWaves' newest data set and measure that measures trends in long-term rates, not spot rates, between shippers and right. van carriers um, on a van contract basis rate per mile.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, trucking costs have been trending higher since late June of last year, right? Following a dramatic increase in the van up on tender rejection rate, which we've seen just go crazy. The tender rejection uh, indice measures the rate at which carriers reject shippers request for capacity. So a higher rejection rates uh, indicate that there's less capacity, which leads to shippers moving down their carrier list or the routing guides and falling out of there. those, a waterfall effect, uh, and they're looking for coverage. So as they do this and they move down that list, they fall out they tend to they fall into the uh, uh the spot market there 's less capacity rates start to go up uh a little less assurance on service because you 're down into third and fourth tier carriers et cetera
1: yeah. Well, knowing many new contracts have not been implemented, it's safe to assume that a large por- portion of the recent implied rate increase will stick. It might even go up, right? Tender rejections mm. remain over 20%, and spot rates are still well above contract by a large margin in what is typically considered the off season. Uh, increasing contract rates should help increase carrier acceptance and, again, lower the spot rates. So, again, you're exposing that spot market. Not the best time right now. Even though you're seeing those healthy spot rates, you can easily be on the wrong side of it, as we've said many times on here. So... Always diversify your spread and, you know, make some relationships, especially if you see yourself getting killed in spot. You want to protect yourself from those. And, you know, there's disrupting factors on both sides. This can also happen at contract rates. So use your best discretion. Super Bowl was last night, we talked about it. avocado exports from Mexico are up by 8%. Some people said there wouldn't be a lot of Super Bowl parties, right? Wow. But because you can't just go to your friend's house or your Aunt Janine's house and eat some guacamole,
0: everyone's got to make their own guacamole, right? So instead of the one communal bowl, there's... Everybody's got an individual big bowl, yeah, which caused it to go up eight percent. Although, nice. hold on, I, I got a thing
1: for you, and I'm not—I'm not an anti-masker. I wear my mask all the time, okay. right? I, you know, yeah. I, I've done the whole lockdown oh, thing. Yeah. You know, Absolutely. I'm still super safe out. But what kind of message are you sending at the Super Bowl? Where you're showing, you're telling people they can't have Super Bowl parties, mm-hmm. but you get all these people in downtown Tampa Bay. Right, going, going, and you get all these people going to the game. Meanwhile, yeah. you're like, no, don't, don't have any gatherings. I mean, I can see where people get frustrated by it. Oh
0: yeah, absolutely, they do. Absolutely, they do. Watching the game, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I'm not getting. Yeah, it we will not go that. too deep. I'm just, just saying, it's deep. a bit, I can see, totally see where people are coming
1: from. And they get frustrated by that.
0: Totally with you.
1: Totally. Well, with in the you. months leading up to Super Bowl 55, <laughs> demand. By the way, one of the dumbest things I saw someone said: if it's 55, why isn't it LL? Well, because the L's. Fifty and the,
0: the V is <laughs> the L is fifty, not five.
1: <laughs> Demand for avocados was stronger than ever, said Aaron Acosta. Uh, he's a corporate relationship manager at Stonehill Produce in Far Texas. Currently, Mexico is the only country in the market shipping avocados as Peru, Chile, and California have finished their season. Ooh, so nice along. for uh for Mexico.
0: Wow, yeah. So Acosta told uh freight waves we're probably looking at an eight percent increase from last year. And overall volume, it's like we didn't miss a beat even with the coronavirus we definitely have the support of retailers who usually set aside promotions for the super bowl which is helping us move some incredible volumes this year
1: you know clarissa carver says if we ever find intelligent life in the universe and want to trade with them paper and cryptocurrencies won't cut it the only suitable currency will be gold seems far french but think about it i mean if they value gold things if are only as valuable as you
0: them yeah yeah it, there's no reason value it's Just because it's gold, there's...
1: (laughs) And if they want something from us, they'd probably want, like, lithium and hydrogen and and things that they can turn into. I think Mexico's
0: hoping it's going to be avocados.
1: Oh, yeah. They can have enough, right? These things fall out of season. What is it? What is it? 1,360 weekly avocado shipments have been made during the weeks before the game. Driving a little bit of freight there, Mm -hmm. isn't it? Yeah. It's equivalent to a truck leaving... (laughs) Mi-ho-can? <laughs> is that? mi ho uh, Michi- Michigan. <laughs> Every seven minutes uh, for the U.S., according to APAM. Football fans consume an astonishing 150 million pounds of avocados, mostly in the form of guacamole dip during the big game.
0: During the game? During 150 the game. million. 150 million. How much did you have?
1: I don't really like guacamole. Size so no, I didn't. Era, but any. I did get Mexican from, uh, from Taco Nuga for my Super Bowl meal. Oh, there you go. Yeah, some nice veggie tacos. Okay, there.
0: there you go. Sweet.
1: Amazon, this got some people in our comments section fired up. Amazon is going to build an incubator for startup trucking companies. They've taken the next big steps towards establishing capacity assurance, and that is to... Give out loans and encourage other people to create private, dedicated fleets for them. This is a bit of a pivot from their Flex Driver program, though. Tell us a little bit more.
0: Yeah. So, Lad said, I don't believe Amazon will be uh, able to generate anywhere near the needed trucking capacity. Uh, he also said,
1: "Britain, Lad, right? He's the e-commerce bro, consultant I'm, yeah, I'm who's sorry. An executive Yeah, executive with I'm Amazon." Sorry, yeah. Um, yeah. He, he was talking about how this might go fully operational. Uh, he was. He said he was aware of by it the end
0: year. of the second yeah. quarter, right? Yeah. So they're going in-house, right, uh, to, to look for people and recruit hundreds of people. To start their own trucking companies to move uh, goods for exclusively for Amazon, uh, an IT publication reported in the news Friday morning. Britton lad, an e-commerce consultant who was an executive at Amazon, said Friday that he became aware of the initiative last year and that it will be fully operational by the end of the second quarter. Because uh, he doesn't believe Amazon can can you know garner all the the capacity that the trucking capacity that they're possibly going to need. Yeah. Nico right? says, uh, is anyone
1: missing the wheel of stupid questions? It's it's right here. It's right here, Nico. And uh, We got uh, we got some questions loaded up. Don't worry oh, about it. Yeah, you um, do. Yeah, so so some people in the comments, though, they were they don't like the idea of this. They don't like Amazon. Yeah. Well, some did. Some didn't. Say, uh, well, Mike Lowry, he said, we do work for Amazon, but be careful what you wish for. You started a business to basically become an employee of Amazon if they control too much of one thing. Will the need to be fair and competitive for where will the need to be fair and competitive? The market uh, would come would come from same concern for what um, what other truck stops have done in terms of their conglomeration.
0: Yeah, watch. Look at look at the contract. Um, read it very carefully. Yeah. <laughs> Make sure you know what you're getting into. Uh, never good to be in business and having all of your eggs in one consumer one one customer's basket. But it could also be a very good thing. You don't know what those contracts look like. One right? of
1: the comments that stuck out to me, just one of the themes in there, was someone pointed out: if all these dedicated carriers are working exclusively for Amazon, mm. aren't they going to slit each other's throats to bring the rates down on that commodity? So Amazon really ends up being the big winner there. If there's a lot of risk involved, they pull their freight um it's got a relationship like you said you really want to vet you really want to make sure of speaking of vetting and speaking of carrier vetting and all of those things we are happy to bring scott cornell from travelers back oh, yeah. onto the show he's their lead um he's their transportation lead and crime and theft specialist and we're going to talk a little bit about how freight brokers uh should be properly vetting their carriers so scott thanks for joining us today
2: hey guys good to talk to you again
1: yeah, no, hey, it's my first time catching up in 2021, so I think we're going to reset the table a little bit and talk about how we go about, you know, at the source, right at the source, how you go about vetting carriers and the importance of that. Can you shed a little light on it?
2: Sure. Uh, I'll give you the short and then a the little bit longer answer, right? So the, the number one rule and the short answer, which sounds very basic, is you really have to know who you're doing business with. You have to make sure that you... Um, are thoroughly vetting and verifying the identity of anybody that you're going to consider a business partner you're going to work with. So that's the short answer. It's very high level. but The details behind that, you know, <clears throat> have a little more meat to them. So today we're going to concentrate on freight brokers, but that rule generally applies to anybody, shippers, carriers, truck drivers, to you name it, right? So speaking in general terms, people tend to trust and assume that the information that people are sending us is accurate and most of the time it probably is Uh, but it only takes one time for it to be wrong and that one time can be expensive Uh, we recommend things like you know going to the actual website of the company that you're vetting and calling the phone number that they have listed not just taking the phone number that is sent to you via email or that they call from but actually go to the website call that number that's on their official website, and confirm via that number that the person that you're talking to works for that organization, uh, that they are in the position they claim to be in, that they represent that, and they have the ability to authorize the transactions on behalf of that company. And, yeah, these these examples are kind of high level. You know, when we work with our clients to teach them how to vet, we create more of a step-by-step plan. But those are some pretty basic things that we see sometimes people skip over. And then once you've verified uh, the legitimacy of that business partner, you also need to vet their insurance and make sure that they have the coverages that you need. So while a freight broker is less likely to be liable since they don't physically handle the goods, uh, experiencing a loss can jeopardize a relationship for them with their shippers. So additionally, uh, you know there are other ways freight brokers can find themselves in an unfavorable position if they fail to make sure that the partners you know, have the right insurance coverage. So some policies have exclusions. Uh, They can be for very specific things right down to the commodity level. So if we use an example, if you're brokering out a load of seafood for a company that doesn't have coverage or has a specific exclusion for frozen seafood, that's going to be a problem.
0: Yeah, it certainly can. You know, when you're a broker, and when you're a broker, you're kind of in this quasi-responsibility thing. And some of a lot of people jump into this and it's the less sexier part, right? Kind of, you know, you're going into getting the, getting the insurance and stuff in it, but it's incredibly, incredibly important. Can you go a little bit deeper into those some of those exclusions, uh, exclusions or key coverages that uh, a freight broker uh, really needs to be on the lookout for?
2: Sure. You know, all insurance policies are not created equal. And, and those that have a lot of exclusions or the absence of key coverages or boxing out uh, your coverage are really good examples. Uh, Another exclusion beyond the commodity base is one that we sort of just discussed, which is voluntary parting. So voluntary parting is an exclusion that's intended to deal with things like a fictitious pickup or an identity theft or a double brokering scam. So in a case like that, the freight broker is unaware that they're giving the goods to the bad guys or a thief. And so that may not be covered if you have that exclusion. Alternatively, go ahead. So, you know, the absence of key coverages is something that freight brokers should be on the lookout for as well. You know, since, um, you know, if we take an example, since the FSMA updates came out, shippers might often require a carrier to have broken seal coverage for perishable commodities. And many insurance companies don't offer that type of coverage. So as a result, the freight broker could be booking loads with a carrier that doesn't have this kind of coverage in their policy. And if they don't have that and there is a loss, and the freight broker may end up picking up that claim with their contingent coverage, if they have contingent coverage, just to save the relationship between them and their shipper. Uh, when you talk about, you know, possibly boxing in or, or uh, of the motor carrier's coverage, is something else that freight brokers will want to take a look at and make sure that they're avoiding. Scheduled vehicles are a good example of this. Uh, where only specific vehicles listed on the policy are covered and you want to make sure that if you're the freight broker moving that load with them that one of those vehicles is, is the one that you're putting your freight with or sublimits, uh, are another good example, uh, which is the type of coverage limitation that refers to the value of what's being shipped. It's important to pay attention to any sublimits and make sure you prevent booking a load through a carrier that's not insured for the total value of the load that you're trying to, to, to book. Uh, Freight forwarders are going to want to re- uh, compare any requirements provided by the shipper to the motor carrier's policy specifically and select the motor carrier partner that's able to provide the right coverage in that kind of a place. And it does require a few extra steps to do your due diligence, but it can potentially save you from a big loss or a hassle in the long run.
1: Yeah, absolutely, Scott. So people, they want they want to vet their carriers. They want the help of travelers. Where do we send them to?
2: So, you know, with all these best practices in place, a a law can still occur. You know, it can just happen. So what can freight brokers do when that happens? You know, for cargo theft, we've talked about that in the past, the three of us, the chances of recovery significantly decrease after 48 hours uh, after the event. So that can be particularly challenging for freight brokers because they're relying on the motor carriers to communicate timely and quickly when a theft happens. Something to consider as a freight broker, if you have a loss, what resources are at your disposal? If it's a theft, who's going to help you look for that stolen cargo? If it's a different kind of loss, what other resources does your insurance partner offer you to mitigate that loss? Uh, Travelers, we have services of our special investigations group, our risk control team, our claim team, you name it. We're very specialized. And for more information on that, you can go to travelers.com slash transportation resources.
1: Thanks, Scott. Now, coming up, our next guest is C Goodwin out of louisville kentucky she's a she's someone when I put out that comeback story right Remember Yeah, it all? I love the comeback story. She shared a pretty powerful story she really did with us, so I'm really excited to bring her onto the show now C Goodwin, thanks for joining us Hey, how's it going <laughs> it's It's going good see, tell us a little bit about yourself introduce yourself
3: well I am twenty nine years old uh I've been through the ringer here and there and found myself in logistics. Can we, can we bring her volume up
1: a little bit? Your yeah. her, your volume's a little bit low.
3: All right. Good deal. Um, I'm the granddaughter of a trucker. My dad is one of the largest uh, fertilizer brokers in the country. I kind of found myself in logistics about six months ago. I never thought that I would have been there. And it all just kind of fell into play.
0: <laughs> Tell us about that. How did you fall into logistics, though? Uh, see?
3: Well, it's been a very long road to get there. Um, As I said on LinkedIn, uh, about two years ago, I found myself homeless after struggling with a terrible drug addiction. I went to rehab and when I got out, kind of went back to my roots and started serving again. I found a job opening at a local logistics company um, and kind of went in from there. I never really expected it to go anywhere. Uh, but when I got the call back, I was really excited. I knew it was a huge opportunity. Um, but after some minor ethics clashes, I would say I decided to take what I knew. Um, I have a degree in mass communications and marketing, um, and I wanted to help kind of those the smaller startup brands kind of get their name out there because it's really hard to compete with kind of those bigger places um, when you don't have a million dollars to put into marketing and advertising. You you really take a hit trying to compete with those places.
1: Yeah, what set you on the on the road to sort of turn your life around? Because what you you'd wrote on this comebacks thing is that you know three years out you were you were this marketing manager. You Mm -hmm. mentioned there you got divorced. You're homeless. You had nothing to show for it but a life of pain. You've you've been clawing your way back. You've been getting the apartment. You've rebuilding your your life. What what do you think was the catalyst that got you to start moving down that road? I've gone on a similar journey myself.
3: Oh, fair enough. Honestly, there's a lot of shame involved in being in that position. You know, you really feel like the world just kind of thinks you're trash and you start to kind of get in that pit of yourself where, you know, it's one of those things you call a criminal one long enough and he becomes one. Um, Mm. So it's really getting out of that self-talk and talking yourself up. Um, But I do have kids. Um, I have two little boys that absolutely look up to me and I did not want them to look at me like I look at my parents. Um, I did not have a good upbringing. I was a very tumultuous thing growing up and was for most of my life. And it was sitting in my car one day. Um, and I just didn't want to be that person. I knew I had a lot more in me and could contribute a lot more to society and where I was. Um, Eventually, I would like to be a motivational speaker and kind of use my story to help other people because there's so many out there with similar issues. Um, But the rehab that I attended was kind of a Buddhist centered uh, facility, and it really helped learning meditations and kind of getting yourself back centered within yourself and cutting out that extra, you know, the social medias and all of that kind of help catalyze us into the society that we've become. So it, it was definitely not easy to do, um, but I'm almost three years sober now and could not imagine even ever going back.
1: Boom, <laughs> you got it. That's good stuff.
0: Nice job. Nice job. So now you're, you're I, guess, I guess you're out of logistics right now as far as being a, a brokerage or doing sales, right? Uh, and and in, uh, in the marketing and advertising side. So what's going on now? What, what's, what's, what's the effort now? What's on your horizon?
3: On the horizon, I have um, one solid year, a calendar year before I can legally go back into logistics. Um, So hopefully after that year, I can get a a smaller 3PL going and help some of the smaller carriers. Um, My big thing is always, you know, uh, like Richard Branson says, you take care of your your customers second and your, your workers first. Because if you take down your workers, then you don't have a business at all. Um, and I feel that way about truck drivers and carriers. I feel like that relationship between brokers and carriers is very important more so than the customers um because it 's kind of our job to be that gatekeeper to the carriers um, they 're always going to be able to find work, but you know to be able to get a customer a quality relationship with a carrier is very, very important. I feel like um yep. so for the meantime in the next year, I hope to just help those smaller carriers and logistics companies kind of build themselves up and and get
1: going. Well, Nico Brown says, this is an amazing story. I cleaned up my life for my kids to to be proud of me. Great that she mentioned Buddhism. A book that changed my life was the Tao of physics and another about Buddhism. So I'm glad messages like these resonate with plenty of people out in the community. We don't always like to talk and, and, and share our demons or job loss or any of those kind right. of things. But many, many of us have been there. And that was the point of that whole comeback story thing is that we've been on the ground and a lot of us have had to stand Back up. What was your experience in in sales like with with TQL? You tried to be on that side. Sales can be tough. Sales can be very very brutal, and it's a lot different than the marketing side. What was that experience like? And is it something you'd be interested in getting back on? Or are you more interested in in staying in marketing?
3: Honestly, I've been told in the past I was born for sales. Um, I'm one of those people that you can tell me no, and I'll find a way to get a yes out of you either way. Because to me, I have something quality and valuable that I'm trying to give to you. Um, more so than anything so i just like to help people and i think that helps me in sales so definitely would like to eventually transition back into that
1: so maybe you can tell us what do you think a couple of marketing strategies that that you think startups could be using now what do you think they're missing out on and how can you aid and enhance them and and help them maybe we can help you get a little further back on your feet and and get you some work pitch to uh, the audience a little bit what what you're all about
3: Yeah. So the biggest thing with these kind of businesses is you want to be able to rank in on Google um, and trying to find someone that genuinely wants to help you do that is really hard. You're going to get a lot of those scam calls. Oh, your Google listing is expired or or what have you. Um, YouTube is definitely a big kicker there. Uh, One of my previous jobs, they needed a new website and I watched probably a thousand hours worth of programming videos and I can now program a website from top to bottom by myself. Um, so it's one of those things that you just, if you want it hard enough, you can do it. And there's a lot of information out there. Uh, but Google is definitely a big hitter for, for businesses like that.
1: Yeah. A lot of companies don't know really what to do under the hood there either, especially no, they really don't. with the ads and it can get, it can get incredibly costly if you don't know what you're doing and you're targeting and you, you make the mistake. I did my first month at Aborn. I didn't set a limit on uh on the keywords and that they'll just keep taking money from you <laughs> oh, if you don't yeah. set any limits.
0: <laughs> yeah, if you don't set yeah, you can definitely <laughs> screw up. You definitely need some help. Yeah. <laughs> like you said, if you want to do it, you can learn it. But go to somebody who has and and right. see has. So <laughs> because yeah. you don't want to learn while you're doing it and and have that situation.
3: It is very tedious. I'm Google tier two certified and I've taken Facebook classes and, and I have a representative at Facebook that I work with too. So algorithms are kind of my thing.
1: Nice. Well, let, let's spin the wheel here cuz Nico Brown did did request it. So we'll spin it Oh, did we? Oh, yes, we have he to.
0: Did. You got to do the wheel of stupid C. Right, just one of those things. So
1: nobody knows round and round it goes. If you were to run across the field at the Super Bowl, what would you wear? Nothing. Oh, wow. Hi, there you All go.
3: right. <laughs> Man, we're talking about Tom Brady's winning
1: streak. What about her streak? There you go. Across the field. I guess if you're going to do it once, you would have to. You've never Have you done anything like that before? Do what? Have you done anything like that before? I mean, I used to have my wild times when I got out of those days, but I've done, like on New Year's Eve one time, I jumped into, yeah. you know, I jumped off a balcony into a pool with all my clothes on and ruined my cell phone. Um, oh, <laughs> done some, do some dumb stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. Not across the football field, though. Yeah.
3: Well, I'm from West Kentucky where we have the lakes, and every winter, it was kind of the, the senior's thing to go jump in the ice water. Um, ah. So yeah, I've, I've definitely done some dumb things growing up.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, she's had some experience. Um, so people want to reach out. They want to connect with you. Maybe they like what they heard today. How should we send them in your direction?
3: Uh, LinkedIn is a great way to find me. I'm on there as C. Goodwin. Uh, you can also email me at info at uh, And I can be reached pretty much 24 hours a day. Well, see. Thank you very much
1: for sharing your story with us today on your comeback story with us today and sharing it with our audience. We, we greatly appreciate it. And as I'm seeing the comments, it's resonating with, with some people as well. Thank you so much.
3: Absolutely. And if anybody's having issues with uh, drug addiction or knows somebody that has, I'd be more than happy to point them in a great direction as well.
0: Awesome. Thank
3: you so much. Thank you, C.
1: Thank you. Okay. Again, we'd like to thank our friends at Legend Transportation for sponsoring today's episode. Legend partners with strategic customers while providing seamless solutions for its drivers and is West Regional's premier freight transportation
0: company. Where do they learn more? Oh, you got to go to NewLegendInc.com immediately after the show. Wow. It's the first time you've asked me that. I know. Thank you so much. Well, it's a new, it's a new read. There you go. I love it. It. i got to get comfortable with it. Oh, then, okay. I, then I pass yeah, the ball. I got you. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> What's Grasshopper the needs verbi- to be ready. Pluck. Oh, I see.
1: That was That was really awesome of C to share that. If any of you out there, you have a comeback story you want to share, just uh, DM me. You can find me on LinkedIn at Timothy Dooner. That's C-O-O-N-E-R on Twitter at Timothy Dooner or T Dooner at FreightWaves.com. Come, you feel like inspiring some people happy to have you right here but you know what now we want to hear about delivery and this is something that we're super curious about derek staples in the comments is super curious like we hear about drones right yeah they say they're going to start delivering us packages That's what they but tell me where are they going to put them how are we going to make it convenient know. how much know. can they carry how big is this industry is this a real thing you know uh, but you know what, Valkyrie—they are on their way to making it happen. Chicago-based company, uh, co-founder and CEO Ryan Walsh is with us now. Ryan, thank you so much for joining us on What the Truck. Thanks for having me
0: on, guys. And there so he is.
1: We are absolutely fascinated by by drones and what you're doing with Valkyrie. You guys are making a mailbox for drones, as I understand it. Tell us a little bit about yourself before we get all into it, though. Um, how did you get involved in this kind of in, in this kind of racket? Where did the interest from drones come from?
4: That question you just asked, uh, my co-founder Alex and I, we started pondering on that uh, about seven years ago. Um, you know, how do these things interact with people, and how do we make it as convenient as possible? So it's, you know, not a novelty. And so we started working on that premise, and, and Valkyrie
0: emerged. Yeah, it's cool. So uh, Valkyrie is not um, is not drones, right? You, right. Uh, what right. what is what is Valkyrie? So right now, we're
4: going to be testing and releasing our uh, mailbox version later this year. We have a commercial version, which is uh, on sale right now for our commercial partners. Uh, we'll also be making window units, rotating units, as well as rooftop units.
1: Beautiful. So seven years ago, you are having this conversation with your, your co-founder. Where were you and, the, and your co-founder at in life? What were you doing before you decided to develop this solution to drone delivery?
4: We had started a couple of small businesses about 10 years ago. Um, he was actually one of my first hires and we just really hit it off and, and we're really good together. So we built uh, uh, Valkyrie and, and several other companies around that.
0: Very cool. Now, so I was on your on your website there. And, you know, it, it's interesting. You, did did you recently win an, uh, an award for for technology?
4: Yeah, yeah, we were selected by the Timmy Awards for best Chicago startup, uh, tech startup. Sorry, um, and then we went on to the finals and won best tech startup for North America. It was wow, really exciting!
1: So we're looking at this box, and this looks like it's something that would work really well in, um, you know, subdivisions, anywhere where there's community yeah. living, maybe office yeah. parks, those kind of things. Because it's yeah. kind, of, it's it's it. Right now, the design is sort of a community mailbox of sorts, is it not?
4: Yes that's our first release and those are the exact markets we're focusing on um, different uh, residential areas like townhouses, apartments, um, you know communal style living um, and then you know small businesses as well. Um, we'll be moving in towards single family homes with our mailbox, uh, the smaller individual one and then moving towards the urban environments after that but we're really tailing on the edge of the the regulations and where they're starting to have these different deliveries start.
0: Yeah, so with the the recent regulation, uh, like you said, that that's in, in your favor, right? Are there are there many more hurdles to to get through, or is it kind of open season now to just develop to not just because it's a difficult thing to do, but to develop these uh, th- this technology and just move forward? or Are there more regulations you got to worry about?
4: They're kind of moving in lockstep with each country. The next big hurdle is beyond visual line of sight. Um, that's the one that we're expecting to happen in the next year and a half, two years. Um, but the last regulations I released in December for remote ID were very big for the industry.
1: You talked about in a previous interview I was reading, you said you knew the biggest hurdle facing drone delivery was that there was no standardization, right? Safe and secure landing area. Is that lack of standardization beyond regulation, is that another big issue that would keep drones from from scaling to make them practical?
4: You know, we're really trying to solve that problem. Um, We just like if you go to the gas station, you don't want to have a different size pump for every make and model of car. Right. We're trying to do the same thing with the landing stations. And some of our ecosystem partners are also working towards being entirely agnostic and universal. And so the drone should be the only thing that changes from delivery to delivery. Um, You're going to see them highly specialized.
0: I I think he said they need to be uh highly specialized and and that uh, they they need to be very very uh similar in size for the for the, to scale these things across the neighborhoods. I would think one of the things that he can move into uh, rather quickly is happy is, meals.
1: <laughs> well, let's ask him that. i think i think he's back
0: we were just talking there we were looking is. at
1: this video that you have here and it's delivering packages of different sizes one of them's like it looks almost like a like a gothic happy yeah. meal in a black box and then uh, you know there, there's yeah. some delivery
0: box goth so, meal
1: <laughs> yeah so what kind of capacity can this mailbox hold and i guess the follow-up to that would be what can the drones themselves actually deliver Ooh, but let's start at action. the uh, let's start at the arrival point how how many packages can these uh, receptacles hold
4: Cars hold six, and those are in individual lockers. Each of those boxes uh, can be 10 inches by 10 inches by 9 inches. Um, We're mostly focusing those ones on the medical supplies right now, and that seems to be the sweet spot for um, different medical deliveries. Um, That's what's getting a lot of the the traction right now with the regulatory agencies, much more so than giving you a Happy Meal. Um, But we partner with a number of drone companies, and each one of those has their own individual use case and delivery. And so we went for what works best for all of them. Um, and so, you know, the limitations, and you guys pointed it out, aren't so much on our mailbox as the drone, right? The How much can they carry and then different things like that. Um, medium-sized drones can carry uh, between 5 and 15 pounds, seems to be that nice little sweet spot. Um, but I've seen drones that can carry a ton. Um, they're oh, getting yeah. bigger and bigger and, you know, uh, you have somewhere to put it. I'm sure a drone can carry it.
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting. So, where do you see it? How, how do you scale the delivery part of this? Because you're you're looking at this, and it has to be homogenous. You're within specific limits, uh, and you look for those specific industries that lend themselves to this, like medical uh, 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 medicine and and that type of stuff. Deliveries. What's the next step in it? Where are those other industries that help this that help the scale that would be within that? Is it going to specific uh, shippers and saying anything within these parameters? Boom, we can do this. Uh, how does that work? It's
4: really um, waiting on the regulations right now. Um, the industries that are really seeing the most growth right now are in the industrial, in the medical, um, areas where there's very low risk, rural deliveries, um, maritime. Um, there's a lot of things when ships come into shore that need to be taken care of and documents that you know need to be signed. So we're seeing a, a pretty broad uh, array. Um, we're actually going to be doing some testing tomorrow for golf course beverage delivery. So, um there's there's plenty of opportunities here
1: well so what happens in the event of you know i was kind of like a rebel ruser as a teenager like roving hordes of teenage hooligans or or drone (laughs) pirates try to take these things out uh, as they're trying to deliver because that seems like a good place Mm -hmm. to stake out would be the delivery box so how do you how do you avoid the drone pirates how do you make these kind of secure
4: so our next version is going to have security measures built in, um, and those are going to be different ways to deter criminals. But taking a drone down is a federal offense. It's no different yeah. than taking out a helicopter, you know. So there's some stiff fines and penalties for uh, being that hooligan when it comes to drones. Um, not to mention is more and more countries are adopting drone delivery for mail. Um you know, it's it's a federal offense in most countries to tamper with the mail. So, um, you know, we're building these things secure to withstand those hooligans. Um, but at the same time, you know, the, there's laws in effect that will deter them further.
0: So uh, you mentioned, I believe you said alcohol or beverage, sorry, beverage delivery on a golf course. It just I automatically think of alcohol, right? <laughs> like beers. So how long until I'm at the Super Bowl and I'm just, you know, beer here and, and the drone comes in with my hot dog and my beer? You know,
4: uh, I don't know if getting delivered to your chair at the Super Bowl might be the best (laughs) use case, right? um, We're we're thinking it's going to be these pilots that spring up for these individual use cases over the next 18 to 24 months. Um, More and more use cases are going to emerge and these these little, you know, concentric circles are going to grow in specific areas until eventually um, there's either a, a dam release from the regulation or they're eventually going to grow to the point where they're overlapping. Um, that's really going to happen between, uh, two and five years from now.
1: What is, uh, what's, so what's some of the tech integration behind this, this mailbox here that uh, I imagine would have to integrate with your drone delivery partners, yeah. obviously you send alerts, have some sort of security to open it. What What's some of the backend like that and how's that developing along?
4: Sure. So that's all complete. Um, we're going through a number of integrations right now with partners, um, The drone will come in when it's about 150 feet away. It uses the same connections it's using for the remote ID uh, to talk to our APIs in the cloud. Um, They go through an authentication and, and verify it's the correct drone, correct package, correct mailbox. Um, Once that is all complete, uh, the top opens up and exposes the landing pad. Um, The drone lands and deposits the package. Um, Then all the client side of it, uh, they end up getting notifications saying the delivery is complete. You have, you know, approximately 30 minutes to get this delivery. Um, And then it goes through that entire chain of custody. So we have to integrate not only with the drones, um, but also on the app side and make sure everything has full chain of custody. Uh, full security, making sure we're entirely HIPAA, PIPTA, GDPR compliant. Um, So there's there's quite a bit that goes into it. Um, We have a pretty broad engineering team to make sure we cover all the bases.
0: So, uh, I mean, the industry, I see the application. The industry can go can, can grow huge. And, and I love a lot of the application that's being done already. It seems to be starting in, in uh, areas where they don't have the infrastructure to deliver uh, needed medicines, right, in hmm. third-wheel country, et cetera, which is, which is great. Kind of an altruistic type of, of setting was the most obvious because as you get into more and more where you're at, you've got more and more logistics issues, including you're talking about residential deliveries, okay? So you have this mailbox that can take six, 12, and as they scale 80 packages or whatever but you've got one drone that can only carry one so that's six multiple deliveries to that one mailbox at a time how do you scale that without being able to have the density of deliveries on a single drone
4: well many systems including some of our partners that will be releasing soon um, that have multi-package delivery um but we are looking very much at uh not so much your traditional milk runs, right? What the UPS driver, what the mailman does, that's still the most efficient in a lot of cases where you have multiple packages in a very um, tight area that need delivery, right? that That's not the best use case for drones. But when you have an entire van driving a hamburger to you from an Uber delivery, that's a very inefficient use case. So When it comes to the the stuff you're ordering from Amazon Prime, right, medications, things that I have to get a highly specialized thing from point A to point B, um, drones are going to end up taking over that. And so, you know, it might be different drones. You know, you'll have one coming in from um, CVS, you'll have another one coming in from you know Uber, right? and somebody may be delivering you a package. So you'll have three different drones that are coming in trying to drop off three different items. And we have to make sure we can interact with all three and that we can store all three items. So um, for us, it's very important to make sure that we are a, a seamless point between the drone and the customer. And you don't have to have drone-customer interaction. That's not safe.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Speaking gotcha. of customers, Ryan, how does the business work then for valkyrie um you mentioned right now you're trying to target sort of the more dense population areas get those mailboxes in those uh, maybe even medical campuses seems like a really good use case based on what you mentioned mm-hmm. but when someone does business with you are they just buying the mailboxes is, is it get the mailbox and there's also like a SaaS platform that that does integrations how does that part of it work
4: Yeah, so right now we're mostly focused on our drone operator partners. Um, They're integrating all of our boxes into their delivery networks. Um, It does, it comes with the hardware and a SaaS platform. Um, So you'll be able to monitor it from an administrative side as well as, you know, user side. Um, And each one of these, we're we're not so much focusing on the dense urban areas yet. That's going to be coming. Um, A lot of the use cases are around very... um, low risk type deliveries, right? Line of sight, you know, hospitals, um, you know, like I mentioned earlier, golf courses, um, very remote deliveries. Um, you know, there's different things that are available now where all of these systems are building into this eco or this, all these systems are integrating into this ecosystem. Sorry. Um, and we're really looking at what's going to be the safest, most effective solution that all of these regulators can get behind. Um, So, you know, right now we're focusing primarily in the drone industry, but that will slowly shift as we move towards residential deliveries. And then at that point, it will be, um, you know, individual homeowners, property owners, you know, strip malls, um, places like that where we're expecting to have these community stations up.
0: So in these community stations, as you see it, as you as you move into these, would would you have a static location or would you be assigned one as as needed? Right. So I'm in my neighborhood. Do I have uh, an address physical mailbox that is a drone assigned to me or does it rotate by who who needs it? I just happen to have a delivery and it's in this box or that box.
4: Sure, sure. No, it really depends on um you know, where this box is placed, right? If it's in front of your home or if it's a community station at an apartment, um, you know, you'll have one assigned to you. Um, but if it's in a strip mall, right, those are uh, first come first serve type, you know, and you'll have one um, dedicated for that delivery or that pickup. Um, so it changes based on who's using.
0: Gotcha. you're Interesting. Beautiful.
1: So how long? So you kind of touched on it here. But is this something that eventually you see this scaling to a point that an individual would have their own drone mailbox? Or is that is is that just sort of untenable at this point, just because of cost and everything?
4: No, it's really you know the the market hasn't gotten there yet. Um, you know, a lot of that's going to come with drones being able to deliver to people's houses, and much like we're seeing with porch pirates and package theft and and all these other issues, weather and and all these things that come into play with current traditional delivery models, we would solve that as well as drone deliveries. So we would fully integrate with current traditional delivery methods, um, and so it doesn't matter what's getting delivered to you; uh, it can all go into a Valkyrie receptacle.
0: So, from, so so a checkout yeah. right? How do you want to pay? Credit card, PayPal, Fast Pay, Fast Checkout. How do you want it delivered? Sure. Are you drone? Re- are you drone accessible? Yes, I am. Boom, mm. click it for that. Some.
1: Yeah, but would you get an ad value in that? Like, why would I elect the drone if you know it has? You have to incentivize yeah, the yeah, delivery yeah, yeah. in yeah. in some aspect. It's either you know it's either faster, yeah. more reliable. You're getting notifications because you're, you're the truck, coolest truck, guy
0: it's. in your neighborhood. Because well, that yeah. 'Cause you're the guy who gets I, mean, the economic, I get packaged by drone, I'm cool.
4: The economics of drone delivery are, are kind of wild. I mean, we're looking at ten to twenty cents on the dollar towards traditional deliveries there and you drones go. can deliver twenty four seven and you know, deliveries that may have taken hours before and now take minutes. Um the data is pretty unreal. So in the use cases where drones really are the the optimal solution, they are highly optimal.
1: Now, are, are the integrators of the world, is the USPS, is UPS, are FedEx, are they looking at using third-party drone solutions? Or are they looking to bring their their own in-house? Who's going to be, um, who do you foresee doing the bulk of these deliveries?
4: You know, everybody's going to be doing it, just like, you know, um, deliveries now, right? More and more companies are getting into deliveries. And if you're a big enough company to do it in-house, you may do it in-house. But a lot of these, you know, smaller uh businesses you know they outsource to a third party right um so there's going to be a combination of both um both FedEx and UPS are using third party providers um they're not doing their own internal developments that i'm aware of um you know so there's going to be a huge market for this both with the large companies the giants and the um you know third party providers for everybody else
0: should we just go ahead right now and disrupt it and start the uber of drone deliveries we we'll just get a bunch of <laughs> I'm sure there's people no, working on that. I drone, mean, drone drone flight operators when you're bored or have an extra hour, make a few deliveries for me.
1: Well, right, you must be taking meetings with a ton of these different companies, yeah, right? I to would think to so. see how they can integrate with your tech to for you to vet to see which partners seem like they have some long term value in that yeah. kind of thing, right? How big would you say the space is and what do you think it'll it'll sort of reduce down to as there are the winners and the losers?
4: There's definitely going to be some consolidation, and I definitely see the large companies um, kind of leading that charge. Um, we're seeing it all over, both organically developing in the drone market as well as these large companies coming in. Um, you know, we we think it's going to be kind of a bloodbath for the next few years, but um, it's it's expected to be tens if not hundreds of billions every report that comes out is slightly different but um you know everybody's predicting this is going to be massive by 2027 um so we're not taking too much of it you know everything comes with a grain of salt but um we're building our own models and and, you know i would agree that it would be in the hundreds of billions you know by the end of this decade
1: right what do you think the worst thing to deliver with a drone would be
4: worst in in what sense
1: I mean, just in general, I mean, go go with that wherever you, you want. I would say a baby.
0: <laughs> Not delivering a
4: baby. <laughs> I wouldn't deliver a baby. We're working on a system right now for uh, safe needle exchanges. So you'd be wow. able to put, you know, sharps in, in a container in the box and it would automatically go and get disposed of by drone. Um, you know, so we're looking at things that we can use to. Uh, make a safer environment, right? Medical's one of them. But if you take that further, you know, you start looking at needle exchanges and hazardous waste and, and different things where you can take a person out of that logistics chain and not expose them to whatever that may be.
1: Wow. You know, it's almost one of those things that's hard to imagine until all the drones are there. I remember I was on in Costa yeah. Rica yeah, on yeah, my yeah, honeymoon yeah. and like there the taxi cabs were you would just get in like a regular person's car. Yeah. No, that was before Uber was here. So like we yeah. weren't used to this as Americans and we're like we just get in this this guy's car? Random car. <laughs> yeah, it's not even marked. <laughs> but once it in happens, Costa Rica. <laughs> once it happens, in the text there, and for some reason, just having an app in your pocket makes it like, oh, okay, it's cool now. Now it's cool. Yeah, yeah now yeah, it's yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, hey, right how, how do people learn more about Valkyrie? And, um, you know, if they want to get on board with you, how do they go about doing so?
4: Yeah. Um, check out Valkyrie.com. Um, our website has everything for notifications when we do start delivering to that market and there's definitely a contact us page and we want to hear from people. So, uh, yeah, Valkyrie.com.
1: Thank you once again, Ryan. We appreciate your time today.
4: Thanks Ryan. Thank you so much for having me on. Take care.
1: No, Michael, Bye, I, have a, I have a question for you. Yeah, go ahead. So you're, you're going to one of these drone companies, right? You're, yeah. going, to, you're going to pitch the drone to, to Valkyrie in the drone mailbox. But you're a Brontosaurus. Oh, Where are you wearing your necktie? Are you wearing your neck? And I think we have a visual aid here to help. Where are you wearing okay. your necktie? Is it up here, right under the chin, or is it down
0: by the shoulders? No, I think it's quite obvious it's down by the shoulders, number two. Now, how sure. is that obvious, though? Well, I've, I've worn ties in the past. I, yeah. I don't like wearing them, but I never wore them, like, up here, around my chin. Well, if you look, noise clo- been down around my shoulder, and actually, I, I think this might be in a
1: patiosaur and not a uh, a brontosaurus. But if you if you take a look, it, he does have a. It's a little bit below the chin. It's not directly here. It's yeah, like a what, little under the Adam's apple.
0: But still, you're you're in your the neck, the collar uh, of your of your shirt is where you're putting these things, right? That's that's clearly resting on your on your shoulder. I guess you're right because then he would like number one would need a
1: massive turtleneck, like a like a turtleneck dress shirt
0: or butterfly. Um, collar. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah it, that,
1: Butterfly collar. All right. I can see it. you have one. It is number two. You in the comment section. What do you think? If you're a brontosaurus, how are you wearing your tie? <laughs> I'm going with, uh, with that. Oh, and Calissa, she says air traffic control, how will this be done by um will this be done by AI? I think they're actually so that's that visual line of sight, right? Kal- yes, uh, exactly right. Calissa, so what they're what they, what that means is that an operator could be in whatever the drone station may be, whatever the traffic control center is, and they can control it almost like a video game. I don't think it's at the point where it can be autonomous, because right now we're still in that conversation of can someone operate it without even being able to see it, let alone a computer being able to do it. So they do have flying
0: assistants all of those things they do and but there's fly assist and all that but once you start talking about uh, receptacles and and now all of them need to know how many receptacles are open how many are full how many are scheduled to go in there you can't have 25 of them uh, trying to deliver to the same one even if they're 150 yards out and they start signaling this thing uh you know it's got to know that there's 50 of them <laughs> All trying to deliver it to the same place, right? Derek Sable's I think that's what she's talking about
1: Derek Sables, Derek says that god made the baby delivery, and he called it the stork, so yeah he De- went, he's right,. He's I was even thinking like right. in the delivery room. Just like the drone coming in, like like a pair of forceps. To that's that's yeah, you, know, you don't want to do that. That's weird. Cal- on I your thought su- it
0: would be cool to use it at the Super Bowl. He seemed to not like that idea. He didn't. He was he was like he didn't no, like that at all. He, he shut you down, down. right away. He, he, he shut you down. Not quickly. happening. Maybe in a hockey. Didn't even he didn't even, he at didn't the even Super uh, humor you with that one. No. Uh, no. So Calista,
1: she also says number one is just dorky. Number two is so GQ. She's the very See? dapper. Uh, thank you, thank dapper you. Dinosaur right there. <laughs> all right, here's uh. So here's some good here. Now what is it? Big deal, little deal. Here's a big deal, little deal. A of highway one and we have a video of this a portion of highway one in big Sur was swept away into the ocean last week big deal
0: or little deal yeah um it's a big deal that you know you could be driving along and like the highway goes away like that yes right it's probably not such a big deal because they'll probably repair it and you'll you know not that big deal right i mean it's some money and stuff but dude i mean you're driving along and all of a sudden can you imagine being the first one to find it Yeah, I mean,
1: it's like being in, like, 2012 or some sort of cheesy action movie. But, I mean, I lived out in in Southern California, and during rain season, you know, houses with a million, multi-million dollar houses would fall off the side of those cliffs all the time. That is not very strong land. A CHP officer, he was patrolling the area. He described what he saw as, "Um, I was in the area when I noticed a section of the roadway, specifically the southbound lane, had fallen off into the ocean. He stayed until the area, until he was relieved in the evening, keeping people uh, away from the scene, right? Caltrans was over that And all that really caused it was um, what they called an atmospheric river event, but it was just 14 inches of rain washed that away. Uh, It's going to take about, according to um, this organization in California, it's going to take $500 billion over the next two decades to
0: fix all this infrastructure, too. Uh, $500 billion? Yeah. for To fix that? No, no. Oh, okay. No,
1: all the infrastructure, <laughs> not just that one thing. I was going to
0: say, my God. Oh, that's an expensive Band-Aid. <laughs> that is an expensive piece of road right there, <laughs> yeah. my friend. Holy cow. Yeah, no, that in, in a river event, I guess, is where it's just training. The rain yeah. just keeps coming and coming and coming and coming. All right, so here, here's a big deal, little deal. All right. Uh, and this one hits home for you as well cuz sure. uh you're into Tesla? Yeah. You you like the um crypto. What, the the uh, CyberTruck? Yeah. And you like crypto, mm-hmm. you got your uh Doge coin. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right? So Tesla buys 1.5 billion dollars in Bitcoin. So not quite as much as you have, but they're they'll be fairly liquid in it and they plan to accept it as payment uh for the vehicles big deal little deal
1: pretty big deal i will tell you why there's a lot of reasons why it's a big deal one is it's big on tesla because they have 19 billion dollars cash in hand so mm-hmm. they just put 1.5 billion in there it's yeah. a heavy percentage it's to, a to big put percentage yes that's a agreed. lot of confidence agreed another big deal now people are talking about is apple the next company who's going to pour money into into bitcoin right could be another big deal is that the price of Bitcoin has responded because regular investors and retail traders hear this and they moved it up from where it was thirty eight thousand of Bitcoin this morning up mm-hmm. until about forty four thousand. I think it's around forty right now, but it's it's seen a lot of movement as companies go. You know what? If we really believe that this is going to go up in value, accepting payment in it is a low because not everyone's going to pay that way. It's a very it's a relatively low risk way of accumulating a lot of Bitcoin or whatever. Yeah. Uh, accessorial currency you're going to take versus sure. the US dollar. Sure. A lot of people see Bitcoin going to, um, going to uh, what's it, 100,000. Wow. Um, the other thing here is uh, there's one aside in our story on freightwaves.com that I, oh, and by the way, you mentioned it too Dogecoin. Dogecoin yeah. was up to eight and a half cents this weekend. It was up to eight and a half cents this morning. Yeah. So a rising tide lifts all boats. A rising crypto lifts all boats. Right? It does. And the, the douche is... is it also
0: means that if you bought coffee with Bitcoin this morning, the cost of that coffee just went up by well, roughly 20%. Hey,
1: look, I'm a, little, I'm a little... Yeah, I mean, that's any yeah, yeah, high inflation, yeah, low yeah, inflation. There's, there's that. Yeah. Well, look, you got to pay for things in the value that they're worth at the time. Right? So then pay with your dollars if you're afraid to play with your Bitcoin. I, you don't even have any. No, I don't. I know. I, You know, I'm a little <laughs> upset. Here's what I'm upset about. Okay. He, Elon's been talking about dogecoin for two weeks now he's been tweeting about the dogecoin right yeah we showed you the picture yes. gene simmons snoop dogg yeah. elon well why isn't he accepting dogecoin for the Cybertruck? maybe he will I maybe he he's does. opening
0: it up to all crypto i hope he does he better he bet. Well, let be me nice. get him on the phone as soon as i'll get him on the phone afterwards we'll yes. get him on a conference call
1: there's a hotel there's a hotel in holland that takes it the amber hotel takes uh, dogecoin.
0: the doge yep. doge coin yeah very cool all right here we go let's go
1: big deal or little deal Nissan's new concept car vehicle, the Office Pod, is maybe taking too little of an approach at working uh, remotely. Uh, What do you think, big deal or little deal? You think we're going to start seeing a lot of vans like this where you can have a... um the
0: world's smallest cubicle pop out of the back? No, I think it's a very, very little deal. Oh, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Yeah, very small. And, and a bad idea. Well, you can climb on the roof. <laughs> oh, you can. <laughs> wow. Can't you do that like on any van?
1: You could climb on the roof if you wanted yeah,
0: to? Yeah, I used to see mini, minivans with the little ladder that went up to the... Uh, the storage on the top anyways no nah, little deal dude i mean who's gonna do that nobody's gonna do.
1: it looks it looks really small i mean if it was bigger maybe we could like take what the truck on the road in there but like i wouldn't where would i go i would just like drive somewhere you just, on the wilderness. you're just
0: gonna pull a micro camper behind your your uh your tesla truck and and do your podcast from there aren't you
1: i mean why am i so far away from like a starbucks or something? you'd have to go like really remote but then where would i get my signal from to no,
0: you do. You order your you order your Starbucks, and a and a, and a, and, a, and a drone delivers it to you.
1: Hey, you know what it also has in the glove box a UV antibacterial lamp that you can put your um your wallet in and your cell phone, your keys. In, yeah, and I guess
0: it'll disinfect them. Yeah, no, I've seen that. Oh. yeah, yeah, yeah. Little well, case that you put it in there. Beautiful. Yeah. In fact, those guys were on. Um, they were on uh, a Shark Tank. Oh, cool. A while ago. Oh, the yeah. UV
1: light. Yeah. 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 Yeah, well, hey, coming up on Wednesday, right? We're not going to have a what's the truck because we have an all day virtual event is the health and pharma summit. You are all very welcome. It is live. It's free. It's virtual. Go to live.freightwaves.com to register. The Health and pharma summit will dive into the networks that keep us healthy and safe. Right back yeah, when we were. were thanking supply chain people for. For all they do for the world. Um, also, seeing what's up with the COVID, COVID vaccine distribution. Ever since I published that What the Truck newsletter. You can get the What the Truck. And I'm not saying yeah. that was the reason for it. But ever Ooh, since I published the What been. the Truck newsletter. Talking about the speed bumps in getting out COVID vaccine. We have accelerated much more fastly. And I believe we set a record on Friday for, I nice think. job. Nice work. 2.1 million, <laughs> right? 2.1 million Boom. vaccines. Just Just like distributed. Um, you want the What the Truck news that are going to FreightWaves.com slash WTT? It'll come out tomorrow at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. You can find me on Twitter at Timothy Dooner. That is D O O N E R. Or if you got a story for us, you can email me at TDooner at Freightways.com. You can find him at Michael Vincent on LinkedIn or mm-hmm. at Vincent the Dude on Twitter. But you might not right want to bother with him on Twitter. He's not there that often.
0: <laughs> I'm there, but not that often.
1: You can find this show cool. on your favorite podcast player of choice. Just look up What the Truck. Or if you want every FreightWaves podcast, all on one convenient feed. It's great for discovery. Look up Cat. Put that in your favorite podcast player. Press play, press subscribe, take it with you. Thank you so much, everybody, for joining us today, for taking on Monday and kicking its
0: ass with us. Right, Michael? Right on. Right, dude. Peace and love. Right. Peace and love. We'll see you at Health and Pharma. <laughs>